we are in this series. Things Jesus never said. Have you ever noticed that some people, they just kind of get quotes wrong or they attribute them to the wrong people or things sound like they should be in the Bible, but they're just not. Like that one quote, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. You've ever heard that? That sounds Christian-y, right? It's just not in the Bible. I think it's in the Quran, isn't it? Do you know? I think, I mean, it's actually not in the Bible. It's not a bad thing. I want you all clean. You look clean. You look good. You smell good. That's always good. That's just not, it's just not actually in the Bible. And I, I think what happens is, you know, Jesus is so popular. Everybody wants kind of a piece of Jesus. They want to claim he said this or claim he said that. And I don't know that people are always misquoting him per se, but I think there's just things that sound right. And so they just think Jesus said it or he should have said it or would have said it, but he didn't say it. Now, there are times where I think people intentionally misquote him because they want to manipulate. I know that's true. I know that's right. And they want to, you know, they want to throw things at Christians or whatever. But sometimes they just partially quote it. You know how we do, right? You just do part of the quote. I mean, politics, we're going to get we're going to get a hot political season. I know. And you're going to hear all these quotations taken out of context and it's going to make it sound like this person is maybe more for one thing than they really are or against things they really aren't. But you, it's not, you can't do that to Jesus, though. It's either he said it or he didn't. And it really matters what he said. And I think there's times where we wish he would have said things a certain way because it kind of gets us off the hook on our lives. And I, I know you've heard this before, but the fact is, if... If what Jesus actually said doesn't actually catch you up short and correct you sometimes, it may be that you, you've kind of made him in your image rather than us being made in his image. And that's a scary place to be. Scary, scary place to be. So here's a quote for today. Uh, this is going to hurt some feelings. I'm just warning you in advance, all right? So I don't want anybody, I don't want your feelings hurt, but God will never give you more than you can handle. How many have heard that? How many have told somebody that? Don't raise your hand. Yeah, I know you meant well. Believe me, I know. I know you were trying to encourage somebody. You were. Jesus didn't actually say that, though. I know they mean well. And you probably said that when someone was going through a really rough time. And I've had people encourage and say, you know what? <laughs> You've been having, God will never give more than a candle. And man, he must really trust you. Because the stuff you're going through is big, and you think, well, man, he's, God's, you're somebody God can really trust, so he gives you all the hard battles. Mm, well, you know what I think? I think people, when they say that, they might be thinking about this verse, which you'll see the difference, but look at this verse. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Corinth, and he says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. It's not that verse. You know, I always say, don't read a Bible verse. Make sure you read it in context. He's warning them, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. That's a lot different than that other quote. I mean, if you just pulled that one line out, that's not actually that reassuring, is it? You know, you're going through a hard time and people be, they basically like they're saying, yeah, everybody got, got that going on. Like, no, when I'm not special? No. No. But that's more true, isn't it? We all are walking through things other people have walked through. But here's what, here's what Paul says. And God is faithful. 
He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Amen. You know what's funny about that? That wasn't Jesus. That was Paul. And he wasn't talking about hard times. He's talking about temptation. He's talking about something we all deal with, and we do, but that's not the same thing as saying God won't give you more than you can handle. Because Jesus didn't say that, and Paul didn't actually say that. What he's saying is that temptation comes to all of us, and there is no temptation that is unique to us. The fact is, we are humans, and we walk through life, and we have similar temptations to others. Now, it doesn't mean we all have the same temptations, because we don't. There are certain things I see people struggle with, and I'm kind of confused because I'm not tempted that way. But I'm tempted in other things that I'm sure other people wonder, why is that so hard for him? Well, it's, everybody's a little different, but we do all experience similar temptations. That's not wrong. What's wrong? It's wrong to give in to the temptations. The fact is, he says this, he will provide a way to endure the test. You know what I love about that? As humans, a lot of times we want a way out or an excuse or to be like, I couldn't help it. I just, it was more than I could handle. No, this is where that word comes in. Actually, everybody's tempted and it's similar and God provides a way out. You're not off the hook. You can actually overcome temptation. You don't have to give in to sin. I love that. I love that. I had a dog once that um, we never had him fixed. And when you were taking him for a walk, it was a challenge. Why? He's not a human being. He lives by instinct. He can't help it. We can help it. We're not animals. Do you see how this works? God has given us choice and we have temptations. Now, the fact is, they're different for everybody. How, how many of you had this experience? Don't raise your hands at all, but you hear somebody talking about something, and it is juicy. It's good, right? And you just are drawn like, what did they just say? Did I hear my name? No. Who, who are they talking about right now? And something in us gets drawn into that. What is that? That's temptation. Is it sin? Yes. Gossip is sin. Are you going to partake in that? You choose. The fact is, God gives us a way out. Now, let me be honest about this. The more you give in to sin, you may know this already, but it gets more and more and more difficult to not give in. How does that work? Paul also talked about what happens is our conscience becomes seared. And what used to say, oh, no, that's wrong, I can't do that. The more you give in, the more, the more you get comfortable with sin. My son and I went fishing yesterday, and I cleaned the fish, and it was smelly for like 10 minutes, right? And then I, <laughs> I did rinse my hands off and wash them, and I got in the truck, and he's like, oh, dad, you need to go find an actual bathroom with soap and water and wash that off. And I'm like, what? I got used to it. Do you see how that works? You don't even realize that stench is on you, but the more you are around sin, the more you become comfortable with it. And the temptation, the more you give in, the less and less you feel like it's wrong. 
And the more you indulge in it, the more it gets on you and you don't even know. And other people sense and see it on you and you don't anymore. And then you feel like, that's not that bad. Here's the thing. The thing with temptation is, and the thing with that saying, God will never give you more than you can handle. The problem with that is, you're not meant to handle it. Maybe you never thought about this, but you're not supposed to handle any of that enough. You're not enough. I know the world wants us to say you're enough, and I get that. We want to encourage each other, and you know, guys, we might say, yeah, you're the man, you got this, you can do it. But here's the thing about real life. You're not meant to do it on your own. It's not about that. You are not enough. Who's enough? He's enough. He is enough. That song we sang, that first song that we were learning, I love that song now. I never heard that till today. I love it. He's the one who's enough. It's because of him. You need him to carry you. You're not meant to live this life alone. He doesn't call you to live a life you cannot live. He doesn't set a standard that you cannot reach. He calls you to live a life above sin because you can, but not by yourself. It's not like you can do it all on your own. You're not expected to. The fact is, he comes in and he regenerates and changes you. And as he changes you, his Holy Spirit lives in you. And that becomes the way that you can live away and above sin. Not on your own. He also doesn't intend for you to do it by yourself. Is there going to be temptation in this world? Yes. Paul said it to the church in Corinth. It's still true today. The fact is, you will be tempted, but God will give you a way out. What do we do? We sin, we hide. We live in shame. What do we do? We make mistakes, and then we start to live in the middle of that mistake, and we start to feel shame. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Maybe you've heard this before. Guilt guilt is when you say, I did something wrong. I did something bad. Shame is when you start to live in that and then you are bad. God wants to change both those things. He takes away the guilt. He takes away the shame. Bottom line, though, you're not meant to handle this alone. That's one of the reasons uh, Brian Smith is teaching that class starting this week, Hurts, Habits, and Hangups, because every single one of us have them. And we walk around with those, and for some of you in here today, it's going to take a lot for you to come to a class because it's admitting, I've made mistakes. Who's made mistakes in here? Thank you. That doesn't make me feel better about mine, honestly. But the fact is, you can live above those. You're not meant to live under those. God doesn't want you to stay where you are. Does God accept us the way we are? Yes, he does. But then he loves us too much to leave us that way. And when he forgives, he forgives completely. 1 John 1, 9. There are certain verses you just need to have locked into your mind. Not just to share them, but for you to know them. For you to be confident of them. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? Who does the cleansing? Jesus. He does it. And when he does that, wait, how many times does he do that? As often as you ask and mean it. What if it's been like 10 times? (laughs) Can we be honest? Who here sinned 10 times? I mean, really? 10 isn't even a real number for us, right? 
How many of you fail over and over and over and you keep coming to God? The difference is you keep coming to him. And the difference is you keep getting back up. It's never over till you stop asking for forgiveness and you become comfortable in your sin. That's on you. The fact is he never stops forgiving. He constantly forgives. But listen to this and be, you need to hear this and own this. There is no forgiveness without confession. You can't act like you didn't do anything. The fact is sin is sin and it's real. Without confession, there's no change. There's no forgiveness. You have to be honest about it and own it. You know how it is even in your own personal relationships, right? Do you know anybody who, and some people are like this. They end up in counseling, but uh, there's some people like this, like they just will never say they're sorry. I don't know if that's you. Don't elbow anybody in here. (laughs) Do you realize, though, if you never say, yes, it's me, then you won't change? I know, some, I know people who are like this, though, and what they want to do is just act like, let's just act like that never happened. Really? Are we going to pretend like that? Because it happened. Be sorry, change. I know that's pretty straightforward. Huh? You have a choice, though. How serious is sin? Let's define sin, though. You know what I'm talking about, right? What is sin? Sin is when you violate whatever God's truth and plan is. When you go against what he set up to protect and provide for you in a good life. It varies depending on who the people are. But sin is sin. Now there are differences in sin. I know, I know we like to say all sin's the same. That's not in the Bible either, by the way. It is different. But it's the same in the sense that it separates you from God. That makes it the same. It needs to be dealt with. How serious is sin? I'm just asking you, how serious is it? You know it destroys relationships. You know it destroys trust. I mean, why did God tell us not to lie? Because if you lie, you destroy trust with each other. Nobody knows what's real or what's true. There's a reason he gave us these rules, but how serious is it? You know how serious it is if it's someone you love and care about, right? When your children do something wrong, your spouse, right? How serious is it? It's serious enough for Jesus to die. Do you ever think about that? We want to act like it's not that. Well, my sin's not that. Yours is a big deal. Mine's not as big a deal, right? It's big enough. It was serious enough for Jesus to die. Serious enough for God to send him to die. That was the plan from the foundation of the earth, that he would come and restore relationship with humanity. If you don't see sin as that serious, you're not looking at it like he does. If you don't see it that serious, then you're not going to take care of it in your life. And you're not going to change. It's just a little peek here and there at pornography. It's not that big a deal. It's just a little bit of gossip. It matters. Just to be clear, everybody has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious plan. Everybody. We're all the same in that. Just to be clear, not only has everyone sinned, but that sin, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Do you get the difference there? I love that verse. That's Romans 6.23. I love that because you get the penalty for sin and you get the benefit of salvation all in the same verse. And Jesus is the one who does that. He makes the change. (laughs) Oh, God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm sorry, that's not in the Bible. But yes, we're all tempted 
and all temptation that leads to sin separates us from God. But Jesus Christ changes all of that. And if that is you today, you can make that change. And is that you tonight or tomorrow? I got, a, I got a, an answer for you. He will make that change. But what did Jesus actually say? And we're talking about bad things happening. What did Jesus say? That I won't give you more than you can handle? No, I'm sorry. He didn't say that. Here's what he actually did say. And this comes from uh, John, the eyewitness John, one of his disciples. He said this. I have, told all, uh, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Wait, wait. Wouldn't it be better if he said the other thing? Wouldn't it be better if he said, oh, you can handle it. Whatever you have coming, you can handle it. That's not what he said. I would rather he said the other thing, but he did not. In fact, what he said is, you're going to have problems. You're going to have not just problems, but many sorrows and trials. How many like that? How many are happy he said that? Well, I've got to be honest with you. I'm actually happy he said it because it's true. Now, as Americans, I get it. We live in such a weird time in history. As Americans, our lives are so comfortable. They're so easy compared to most of the world and compared to most of history. I mean, our life expectancy is forever. You know, very few people in the United States ever have to deal with hunger. I mean, real hunger. Yeah, I know we get hungry about 11 o'clock, but that's not the same as not eating for days. Not only that, our diets. I mean, we... Almost anything you can imagine. You go into a grocery store and the options are endless. Look, for Americans, our number one goal is comfort in life, isn't it? I mean, you ask anybody why they work. Well, they work so they can be comfortable and then they can't wait to retire and not do anything. Right? It's as if any hardship or, or any little thing and we act like, oh, it's a trial. Man. The rest of the world is dying to live here and to live like this. You hear about first world problems? They're talking about America. You know what I'm talking about, right? First world problems? Yeah, your cell phone died, right. Or you have to text somebody that lives in your own house because they're like upstairs, (laughs) right? And you don't know where the charger is, right? And Wi-Fi went out, right? (laughs) Or it got hot, And my AC wasn't working. Oh my goodness. We are so soft. That's not a problem, right? Jesus said you will have many trials and sorrows. But he said this. He's going to give us peace. Wouldn't it be nice to just have the peace without the trials? I mean, I'm reading that and I'm thinking, Jesus, couldn't we just not have the trials and I'd be at peace? But here's the problem. We're reading that as Americans. You know what peace means to us? No conflict. That's not what peace means there. That's not the peace he's talking about. Because the assumption is there's always going to be conflict in this world. But you've got to figure, these, when he said that they were living under Roman occupation, the idea that we have of peace, they never would have conceptualized. The idea that they would be in the strongest, richest nation in all of history never occurred to them. When Jesus said that, he's talking about peace with God. Not peace as if you don't have any problems, and the problems we have are not their problems. You ever think about that? You're driving your car and it starts to make a funny sound. You got problems. You got a car. You realize that? You have a car. 
How many people in the history of the world have ever had a car? Here's the problem. You want peace, but you don't realize what the peace he's promising is. That peace is peace with God. The peace he's talking about is if, if you've got you and God right, nothing else matters because you can't be shook. That nothing else is going to bother you because you and him are good. I get it, though. I understand what you're talking about. I get it, though, because the, the trials you have are real. Please don't think that I'm standing up here acting like your problems aren't important. They are, and I know what they are. And I know that a lot of you have problems right now, and your world is rocked. Maybe it's a diagnosis you got. Maybe it's a relationship that has completely fallen apart, and you don't know what to do. And there's no, seems to be no change in it because the other person won't talk to you. I know. Maybe what you're talking about is finances are so bad that you're in debt and you're up to your eyeballs and, and nobody knows. And you haven't even told your spouse yet. Maybe for you it's something at school and you have no idea how you're going to get through it. God cares about every one of those things. He cares. He cares. So how do you get that peace? What did Jesus say? I have told you all of this that you may have peace in me. Anytime you're reading scripture, you've got to wonder, what's the, all of this he's talking about? Don't just read a verse and wonder, what's he talking about? All of what? What could possibly give you peace in the middle of trials and sorrows? He's saying, you will have them, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But what is he talking about? Let's take a look at what he was talking about. Just one chapter ahead, in John chapter 15, he says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Then a little bit later, he says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you no longer are part of the world. I choose you to come out of the world so it hates you. And he goes on to say, don't you remember I told you that, that a slave is not greater than the master? They persecuted me. Naturally, they will persecute you. And if they'd listened to me, they would listen to you. They would do all of this because of me. They have rejected the one who sent me. Um, they would not be guilty if I'd come and spoken to them. But, but I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. He goes on. And he says this in verse 26. But I will send the advocate. The spirit of truth, he will come to you from the father and will testify, testify about me. And you must also testify about me because uh, you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Then in, in the beginning of chapter 16, he says this, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith for you will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to um, be with you for a little while longer. Do you understand where your peace is supposed to come from? Does that set in perspective the problems that Jesus was talking about? Look, I'm not saying your problems don't matter, but I'm just saying problems are going to happen. How do you find the peace? Here's the first thing he said. Be connected to the vine. Be connected to the vine. Do you understand what that means? If you're connected to God and he is your source, then you're good. 
I know this has happened. I know you guys, maybe not everybody here is a gardener, but maybe you've had some plant and you realize this branch has all turned brown and then you realize, oh, that last windstorm broke it. It's not connected to the tree anymore and it's starting to dry up and it's got a problem. Do you know how you stay connected to the vine? You're doing it right here. This is part of it. You're here, church. The other parts go beyond just here. The fact is, you need to be growing and hearing from him in your personal time of worship, your personal time of prayer. Uh, Come on Wednesday, be part of a class. But it's more than that even. You're not supposed to do this alone. Do you see this? You're supposed to be connected to this body of Christ. That's another analogy. I don't want to mix metaphors here. But the metaphor he's talking about is being part of the vine. Because if you're part of the vine, you're getting fed. You're getting input into you. You're not living this life alone. So when you have the trouble and the trials, you're part of a group that you're connected to. And it starts with Jesus. We're not supposed to be islands. He is the one that gives us that sustenance. You have to be in time with him. Another thing he said is you're no longer part of the world. The fact is, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. He said the world would hate you. You know what? I, I don't love that the world hates us. Don't, don't get me wrong. But I love that he was honest about it. God doesn't give you this fairy tale world. And then, then they lived happily ever after. That's not it. Life on, here, on this planet is going to be a struggle. Because the system of the world is not the same as God's system. The fact is, when you become a Christian, you're no longer part of the world. So the world is going to hate you. The fact is, if you're swimming along with the world. Have you heard this? Things that go with the flow usually are dead. Have you ever heard that? If you're swimming upstream, it's because you're going against the flow of this world. The fact is, we're in a world where they hate Christian values. I know it's offensive to say that. I'm sorry. But the fact is, if you're going to live for God, you're going to live his values, not the world's values. And believe me, they're always preaching their values. I don't blame them for that. It's what they do. It's who they are. Every song you hear, not every, but nearly every, you realize there's a sermon in every song. They're telling you something, something to value, something to care about, something that's good, something that's worthy. And they're telling you what that is. Every TV show, every book, every movie. The fact is somebody wrote it and they put their words in someone's mouth to espouse a worldview and an idea and they're preaching sermons. They are not godly. Now, it doesn't mean you can't watch those things, but you better have your filter on and know this is what I believe and that goes against my beliefs. The fact is, we live in a world that's going to hate you. They hate family values. They do. Why? Because the enemy of your soul wants to destroy you. And you know how it is. If he can't get to you, he's going to go through your kids. And how better to attack God than to attack the family that he instituted? You realize the first institution he created with Adam and Eve? You've ever thought about that? Why? It's the building, the very building block of community and family and, and society. That's what he wanted, and he created us to be in homes. And he keeps giving you all these imagery all through the Bible. He's the father. Do you see how this works? Jesus is the bridegroom. All of this is his idea. So what better than to destroy that? He hates you. He just does. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. It's what he does. So don't be surprised. I love that Jesus told them straight up, you're not of the world. Don't be surprised when they hate you. So be ready because they're going to do it. But then he also said, remember he's telling you how to have peace. He also said, I gave you the comforter. You like that word? Because you can find other words. 
He also gave us the other times, it's, sometimes he's called a paraclete or a, an advocate, comforter. He comes alongside and represents us. It would be as if you had a lawyer that's going to take your side and go with you to court and speak for you and tell you how to talk and how to do that. That's that role he plays in our life. But it's more than that. Paul tells us in Corinthians that he's going to encourage us. That's the whole idea behind speaking in tongues. It edifies you. It builds you up. Did you ever think you would need that from him? Yes, you would. You want to have peace with God? The Holy Spirit's supposed to be in your life and helping motivate you and speak through you. You know what else he does? He teaches you. Says he teaches you. So when you read the Bible, you don't have to be necessarily, I mean, it's good to study, but how many of us know everything? None of us do. But the fact is the Holy Spirit speaks through us and educates us. He reminds us of what we should know. That's what he does. He's in constant fellowship with us. If you're a believer in Christ, the way that works is the spirit is in you and he is part of you and he helps motivate and guide and correct and convict. He also convicts you. That gives you peace. Did you catch that part where he says, so you wouldn't abandon your faith? Wait, what? Someone's gonna abandon their faith? Wait, what? Christians abandon their faith when they get hated by the world? Yeah. Remember peer pressure? Remember in high school and junior high, peer pressure was a big deal? Do you guys ever have that? Act like everybody else, dress like everybody else, talk like everybody else, be like everybody else? (sighs) Yeah. People do that. That's why another verse says that we are strangers in this world. We are actually part of a different world once you become a Christian. If I could have the musician up that's going to help us with the end of the service. So who's going to hate you? The world's going to hate you. Sorry. They're going to. Sometimes strangers, sometimes friends or family. Let's look at that verse again. I've told you all this so you can have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Jesus, he said, you may have peace. So he promised the trials and sorrows, but he also promised peace. Now that sounds like a contradiction, right? An oxymoron, like how can you have one without the other? Here's the thing. What he offers you is the fact that his presence gives you peace in the middle of the turmoil. You know what speaks volume to a world that you live in today? Maybe to your coworkers or people you go to school with. The whole world is going crazy, but you're at peace. They're going to look at you like, how do you, how do you do that? And you're like, well, I don't do it by myself. I don't do it on my own. I can't. Because there's a God in heaven who loves me and cares about me and has saved me and redeemed me and changed me. And he's made me different. And I live because of him. I mean, you say it in your own words. But the fact is, he gives you peace. Now, you may be here today and you don't have that peace, but you can. How do you get that? I would say this. The first part is vine time. That's probably not something you say every day. Vine time. Are you connected to the vine? Are you spending time in his word? Are you spending time in prayer? You're here and that's awesome. That's a huge part of it. And are you spending time in worship? What are you feeding in your heart and mind? That's what Vicky's class is about that she's teaching on Wednesdays. Maybe you're here and you don't have peace and you need to come to that class. There's not a promo for the classes per se, but I'm just saying. 
You need peace? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe you just step back and say, why don't I have peace? Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe in him, but I don't, I'm not at peace. Maybe for you, there's sin that's, that's corrupted your relationship with God and you don't have peace. And you need to confess, tying back to that other verse that talked about forgiveness. The fact is the temptations are going to come for all of us and maybe you've given in and you need forgiveness. That will disrupt your peace. Maybe you're the one who needs to forgive. And because of that, you do not have peace. Accountability. It means surrendering your life for his. Here on earth, you have many trials and sorrows. Don't be surprised by that. The Bible's so real. It's so authentic. It's so... I mean, I love it. It warns. He warns us about things that are coming. Be warned. That's what you do to people you love. You, you warn them. You tell them. Hey, there's this accident on the highway. I just saw it on the news. Be careful. Jesus is saying, watch out. There's going to be a world that's going to be attacking you. It's not going to be easy. Do I want it to be easy? Yes. There is no easy button. I'm sorry, but you're in the real world. You know what the definition of insanity is? I know if you've heard this before. It's doing the same things and expecting different results, right? If you are not living at peace, I'm going to challenge you to do something different. I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it means for you committing to change your habits and maybe spend less time being preached to by a world that is out for your destruction and instead feeding your heart and mind what God says. That might change a lot for you. Changing even what you listen to on the radio. You know when I feel a lot less stress? I'm, I'm not saying put your head in the sand, but when I stop listening to the news, I have a lot less stress. I like to be informed. Believe me, I'm very, I want to be informed, but it may just mean what you change in your musical diet. I'll tell you, that song we ended worship with, that's the first thing I hear every morning. Right after I do our, we do these Bible readings as a church with Version Bible app. Right after that, that's the first song I listen to every day. It changes my life. My whole perspective gives me peace to focus on Jesus who is over all of things. And I speak Jesus over every concern and worry I have in the morning. Maybe you're not doing that. Maybe you're just plowing through life and you're just staying up too late and getting up early and just running to get ready and jumping in your car and you're angry on the road and the highway and there's times where people are driving crazy and you're white knuckling and you're like what is going on with these people and you're not at peace you're not at peace you know where the another definition of an insanity is is to not prepare for what you know is inevitable you know the world is after you did you not know that did you know the world was going to hate you Look, I know you're nice people. I know it. You're good. But they hate your goodness. Do you, do you not see that? Your goodness is convicting for them. They know that they're not living right. Deep down in their heart of hearts, they know it. And it makes them angry that you are. Even your peace can bring hate. I know that sounds crazy. It sounds like an opposite thing. No, no, I'm the nicest person. I walk in and everything's like, right, right? Bunnies and... I don't know. No. No. Not preparing for what you know is going to happen. 
preparing for the trials. I know I've said this before, and it sounds so fatalistic, but either you've been in a trial or going to be in one. That's life. But it's okay, because God can give you peace in the middle of all that. In the entire middle of that, you can have his presence through it all. Through it all. Take heart, because Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome. He's overcome. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus is our hope. That means that Jesus is our peace. That means that Jesus is our savior. He's our forgiveness. That means that he has done it so he can take us through it. It doesn't mean he takes us out of all those things. It means he takes us through it. And his peace walks it through us through those things like no other human could walk through. What I, what I so respect about our guests today is that a lot of them talk about this, that they go into places where they may be threatened. They say it like this, there's nothing that can threaten them. I've already died. I've already died to life, to this life. Can't take anything from me because I gave it up a long time ago. I mean, what do we really own in this world that matters? Just Jesus. So let me ask you a question. I, w- I want you to shut your eyes for just a moment. I, I ask people to do this because it gives you a sense of privacy in a room full of people. And I just want you alone with these thoughts. Nobody else looking around. Nobody sitting by you. Just you. Do you have peace? Jesus promises peace. Do you have that? Do you have peace? I do want you to respond to this, but this is just for you to respond. It's not for me to keep track or anything, but I'm just curious. Anybody here experiencing trouble today? Trials today? There's a lot of hands up in this room. But do you have Jesus in the middle of it? You can keep, you can put your hands down. Do you really have him? (laughs) Is he your peace today? Is he just an acquaintance, someone you know about, something you see once in a while at church? Or is he your peace today? I'm gonna ask this question. We, we ask this every Sunday. If we, if, we, if we didn't, we wouldn't be doing our jobs. I just wanna know if anybody doesn't actually walk with Jesus now, but you want that peace. From what you've heard today or maybe other things people have said before you even got here, Maybe you've been contemplating this for a long time, but today you're ready to say, yes, I want Jesus. Anybody like that? That you'd say, yes, I want to follow him today. Anybody at all? I want to ask a second question, though. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're new in the Lord, or maybe you've been following Christ for a long time but you've been struggling with that peace. Maybe you've been struggling just to really see that Jesus is really Lord of all. And maybe because of today, you realize, you know what? I need to change some things in my life. Anybody here like that, that you need peace and you realize you need to change some things? There's hands over the whole place. I want to read, Paul wrote this to the church in in Rome. He'd, He'd never actually been there. So he's kind of introducing himself, introducing Christianity, and he's explaining 
the relationship with God and how triumphant that relationship is. I want to read this to you today in such a way that you understand that he is Lord over all. And when he promises peace, this is what he's talking about. So if you just, if you humor me this morning, just keep your eyes closed for one more minute. And I want you to hear this in a way that you understand that what he's talking about is this is how much God is over all. Jesus is over all. And maybe there's problems in your life today that we're going to pray with you about those. In fact, if you're, if you're part of our prayer team, if you'd come up while I'm reading this, and then that way you're already here and people can respond in prayer. But I want to do this with you guys. I want to read this to you in such a way that, that you understand that he's over all these things. I want you all stand. Just If you would still, though, keep your eyes closed. I just want you to hear this. I want this to sink into your heart and mind so that you see God is over all these things. And if at any point as I'm reading this, you need to step out and have someone pray with you, and maybe you just need them to stand with you. Maybe it's a diagnosis you've had, or maybe it's an ongoing issue that you want someone to stand with you in prayer, and it's, it's been stealing your peace, but you know that there is a God in heaven that will overcome these things. Go ahead and step out whenever you feel like, I need to get out there, I need to down there, I need for one of those people to pray with me. Maybe, just, just like our guests have mentioned, they that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you want prayer for that, we can pray for that with you as well. So here I'm going to read to you right out of Romans chapter 8. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. He's sitting at the, in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor their angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you want prayer this morning for anything, anything that comes to your mind, I just want you to step out quickly because we will pray with you. Join us for a moment in prayer as, as we're led in worship.
Let me pray over you. Father, I bless this crowd today. Thank you, God, for your, your overcoming, overwhelming peace that you give us in all abundance. God, I thank you that you, you give us peace in the middle of every trial and struggle. God, I thank you for your presence, for the power of your Holy Spirit that lives within us. And I pray now for every one of these that head out of this room today that we would not only walk in peace but be able to share that peace with a hurting world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Please go talk to Scott in the lobby and uh, welcome him. Encourage him. God bless you. Share this peace with everybody around you.